What's life all about? Glad you asked. Isn't it about kingdom business? At the end of the day, isn't that what it's all about? So in trying to understand what life is all about and really our participation in it, which I don't think a lot of people really care about or think about, they've just kind of checked out and just kind of cruising through life. No, life is a gift. It's been given. We are here for a purpose. And in it, we really have to think about why we're here. We have to think about the kingdom of God. The problem is there's much to think about. The term and its cinnamon, the, the kingdom of heaven, are actually used over 80 times in the New Testament. It really is the central theme of Christ's ministry and his message. So we have to be narrow in our approach and know that whatever we do say, there's so much more that could be said. So we could go on forever about this. But here this morning, our concern is going to be about two things. We're going to look at in what way did Jesus bring the kingdom of God and how does it affect us? And then secondly, in what ways are we to live in light of the kingdom of God? So Christ brought the kingdom at his first coming. Look here in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. It said, Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. His first public declaration in the period of his ministry is the kingdom has arrived and that there is a proper response to its arrival. So Jesus is recognized as the king in his first coming. Didn't they sing in Luke 19.38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord? They recognize Jesus as their king. Hosanna, save now. Okay? They recognized him there, that, that triumphal entry. But he comes in a peculiar, rather non-kingly way, doesn't he? Because we read in Matthew 21, verse 5, which is actually a fulfillment of a prophecy given all the way back in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey which is really indicative of the shape of the kingdom, how it would take shape, how it would look. So we must also keep in mind that when Jesus comes again, he will be revealed as the king of kings to the whole world. In Revelation 19.16, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I love Philippians 2.11. It tells us that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you guys know that every knee is going to bow and they're all going to profess him as king? I cannot wait to that day. So he will come in power and great glory. We see that spelt out in Matthew 24, which in a few weeks from now, we're going to be going through in depth and looking at world conditions in the last days. And when Christ comes back in the midst of chaos, <laughs> he's going to come in power and glory, which is indicative in the kingdom 
of the kingdom in what shape it will take at that time. So it was made manifest in a certain way when Christ came the first time, and it will be made manifest in a certain way when he comes the second time. Do you guys understand why it's important for us to understand the kingdom of God and his different comings? It brings clarity. You see, the kingdom is both present and future. It's already and not yet. The Old Testament understood God as the king of the universe. There was a longing for the kingship of God to be made manifest in the realm of humanity. Israel recognized God as the king of the universe, but they looked forward to the day when the king would come and he would exert his authority and his reign in that context. So in Christ, the kingship of God was made manifest in history. It came. You guys get that? Good. So that is Jesus, what he's saying here in Mark chapter 1, that the time is fulfilled. He had come. The kingdom of God is at hand. The king is here. So it is correct to think of the kingdom of God, heaven, as a place that only pertains to life or it's not correct to think about it as just where we go when we die, okay, um, after death. It is the kingship of God in time, space, history, humanity. So, what is the kingdom of God? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's the rule. It is the reign of God. It began in a peculiar way with the first coming of Christ. It will be fully realized at the second coming of Christ. It is presently working in and through us. It is historical. It has happened. It is eschatological. It is future. And it is practical. It is present reign of God right now, right here. So what will happen or help us to think about this is the simple fact of his kingship, that Christ is king. And the king requires allegiance, loyalty, commitment. So when Christ comes, he calls all people to allegiance through repentance. All people to repentance. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That is the call of God. So repent. Repent from what? wrong allegiances. Does that make sense to you guys? That's what we're called to repent from. The gospel is a reason to be allegiant. He brings the kingdom, an opportunity to enter it to a time, a place, and a people in difficulty. We read in Matthew's account, chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, O land of Zebulun and land of Nephtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. I love it. You see, guys, what the world suffers from, why they sit in darkness, is wrong allegiances. Scripture confirms Satan is the ruler of this world. Not by way of rights, but by way of allegiance. Humanity has both wittingly and unwittingly given allegiance to Satan. Do you guys know that Satan's a bad ruler? Okay, yeah, he's a turkey, but 
Um, <laughs> I don't like them. I'm told to love my enemies, but man! And why? What does the Bible say about Satan, guys? Well, he comes to kill, to steal, and destroy, doesn't he? That's what he wants to do to you, to your loved ones. We read that in John 10.10. Okay? Um, we also read, guys, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, his reign is a reign of death. Okay? That is his, his reign. It just brings death. We also read, guys, that he keeps people enslaved. 2 Timothy 2.26 and Hebrews 2.15. So, what do we know about our king? He's a good king, isn't he? Jesus. Well, he came to destroy the works of the bad king, and he gives life where there was previously death. Right? John 10:10, 10, 10, 12:31, 16, 11, Hebrews 2:14 and 15, 1 John 3:8. That is our good king. He came to demolish Satan, death. He came to seek and to save the lost. That's who he's after. That's why he came. And aren't you glad? Because, man, I was lost. Man, I was sick. He came to call sinners to repentance. We read that in Luke 5, 32. He also came to offer release to those who had been um, in the snare of the devil, having held captive by him to do his will. 2 Timothy 2, 26. He came, and I want you guys to catch this, to open the eyes of those whose mind the devil has blinded. We're told in 2 Corinthians 4 there that the God of this age, speaking of Satan, okay, has blinded those who don't believe the gospel. So those who walk in unbelief or they're walking a lie, okay, it's because Satan has blinded them to the gospel. Man, religion. Think about every religion in the world, guys. It is so from the pit of hell. You can save yourselves. We even see that within the Christian church today. Look at what you can do for salvation. That's a perversion of the gospel. Man, we are to repent and turn to Christ, period. And that is it. And those who don't see that, who's being, <laughs> they're being blinded by Satan himself. And isn't that why we pray for our loved ones, for the lost? We know it's a spiritual thing. Man, I've talked hours actually sat at tables with people for hours and hours, opening up the scriptures, laying out the gospel clearly to the point that they're able to tell me back in their own words. They have a grasp on it, but they're not willing to come. There's something still. Okay, The Bible talks about the Jews being veiled, being blind. You guys know any Jews? Man, they get who Jesus is. They'll even understand the gospel, but there's just something there. Well, what is it? Satan. He's blind, and that's why we pray. That's why we pray that the light would shine, that they would see. We see here, guys, that the call to come to the Lord, okay? Why? Why do we come to Jesus? Because he came to bring life. He came to bring light. He came to bring freedom, okay? So these are corollaries of his nature, his goodness, and his kingdom, the call Jesus gave was for men and women to enter the kingdom of God and to experience these things through a change of allegiance. And let me tell you what, when you turn to Christ, you do experience life, light, freedom. There's nothing like it. So repent and believe the gospel. 
Pretty simple message, isn't it? Didn't Jesus tell us to go into all the world, to all peoples, preaching the gospel, preaching the kingdom, discipling people? (laughs) That's what we're called to do. We're called to go to all people. And there's a call to repent. You guys need to understand. It's not, hey, go tell people they're chosen, and then they'll believe. That's not what the Bible teaches. It calls people to change their allegiance. You have a choice. You need to repent to the true king. And in that, you will believe and be given eternal life. It's beautiful. And without a preacher, how are they going to hear, guys? We need to share. We're the ambassadors. Let me tell you what, I love the Olympics. And it's so cool, my kids, every time they see the big statue of Jesus there in Brazil, Jesus! (laughs) It's so cool. (laughs) But I haven't heard on the Olympics at all. They show pictures of him over and over again, this big statue, but no one's talked about why they made the big statue. Who is this Jesus? It's kind of cool seeing some of the Olympians get together and pray and give glory to God. And it's cool, some of them on live television saying why they do what they do is all for the glory of God. But wouldn't it be so cool if the news actually covered the good news? The gospel? It'd be awesome. Anyways, some of you guys should pray about becoming news people. Um, well, we are, aren't we? We just don't get to be in front of people on television. That's why we have to go into all the world. So the idea of repentance is a serious change of mind that leads to a change in direction. Christ's first demand in his ministry, which we see in Matthew, has this as his first public word. It's a beautiful word, repentance. A lot of people trip out about that. Don't talk about repentance. It's one of the sweetest words in all the Bible. Doesn't Acts chapter 3 tell us that, hey, repent, that times of refreshing may come from being in the presence of the Lord? Why wouldn't someone want to repent and be refreshed by the Lord, God Almighty himself? Don't talk to me about repentance. Don't tell me I need to turn or I'll burn. Why wouldn't you want to turn and have life, freedom, man? Because Satan is blinded. People are caught up in their own things rather than humbling themselves and saying, okay, God, we're going your way. I need to live for you. You're my king. You're calling the shots. Because the truth is, guys, we live in a a time in a society that we want to be kings ourselves, don't we? It's not even being a legion. I watched Ben-Hur yesterday with my wife, went to the movie theater. I enjoyed it. But it was just crazy how the Roman Empire was taking over. And these Romans, how allegiant they were to just a man, to Caesar. Whatever Caesar says, we're going to do for his namesake. Even, even in this movie, things were going on that you know Caesar didn't have a clue about, but they were doing it for him. That's what they were living for. That was their king, just a human being, that they were willing to lay down their lives and do just horrible, horrific things. And here we have a good king, the one and true king, the king of all kings. And for some reason, People don't want anything to do with him. And a big part of it is because we live in a time right now that it's not really about that king or this. It's about my kingdom. It's about me being king, me calling the shots. I don't really care what they think or they say or even what the Bible has to say. Who cares? I'm going to roll with whatever I think is right. That's a scary thing, guys. Where's that reality of us being his 
creation. He's our creator. He calls the shots. He says what's right and what's wrong. Guys, that's why we encourage you every week. Get into your Bibles. What does God have to say? Who cares what I think? Who cares what the church thinks? What does God say? That's what matters. Are you allegiant to him? Are you going to be faithful to him? You see, guys, this is a beautiful word, repentance. To repent is to change direction away from the kingdom of death by changing our minds about dead works, about dead idols, which you can read about in the early verses of Ephesians chapter 2. Also in Hebrews 6, lays out that um, argument. Also, dead works in uh, our works contrary to the word of God. They include works of the flesh, right? Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, uh, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 and on. But God says, those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So how can we live in the darkness and say that we're of the light? Aren't we called to walk in the light as he's in the light? Do we sin? Absolutely. But if you're born again, there's something that's happened to you. You have the Holy Spirit alarm. You guys know what I'm talking about? (laughs) You're no longer okay walking in the things of the flesh. Okay, Things that are contrary to what is right, pure. The things that God has called us to. Isn't that crazy? I love it. Some of you guys know my testimony a little bit. Um, I grew up having a very hard time reading. I had a learning disability. But there were things that God worked in me as a young man by his Holy Spirit that he was teaching me. Something happened when I was 18. I got baptized in the Spirit, and I didn't want to put down the Bible. I'd never read a book in my life. All I wanted to do was read this book. I wanted to get to know my Jesus. So I'm reading, I'm reading all these things that the Holy Spirit was teaching me, showing me, son, walk in this, go this way, do these things, you know, and stay away from that. Stop, don't go. I'm starting to read in scripture. It's like, oh, wow, this is the will of God. This is the heart of God. And that's why it's so good, guys, that we are in a place of, hey, I have repented. Jesus is my king. And if he is your king, don't you think you want to know what he's like? what he's asking, and how do we get to know him? It's through the word. He is the word. He's the logos. Get to know him. Get to know his word. So uh, these here uh, are manifestations of false allegiances. We need to repent from wrong allegiances. So idols, those could be many different things, correct, guys? Many things today, from uh, an image to love They control our thoughts and behaviors. I guess that's a good way to define an idol, right? Okay, whatever is consuming you, controlling your thoughts. Uh, Mammon, wealth is an idol, isn't it? Okay, we live in the wealthiest time in history. We're the wealthiest people of all time here in America. If you own a television, you're in the top 5% of the richest people who've ever lived. Okay, (laughs) think about that. We are filthy rich. And it's so sad how many Christians I talk to that are so bent. I lost my job. I lost my 401. The economy's tanking. I don't know what's going to shake out. Do you guys know that God has your back? He's promised to be your provider. But we're all planning on our retirement. What are we going to do? Money really has become an idol. 
It is. I'm torn a lot. The Bible talks a lot about giving. For you guys who have been visiting, okay, I see a lot of new faces here. We don't pass a basket. Giving's between you and God. But how many of us actually take the time to really reason with God? What do you want? What are you asking? How am I to steward my blessings, my provisions in life for your kingdom if life is about kingdom business? That's between you and the Lord. God loves a cheerful giver. How does that look? What does that mean for us? But it's taking everything, those things that we hold as idols in our life. What does that mean? What does that look like? Do you treasure Christ above all things? I hope so. Because the more you treasure Christ, the less things become. Okay? I'm a Packer fan. I'm pretty stoked. I don't watch preseason because it's pointless. But <laughs> I, I enjoy watching games. Okay? But I can tell you, it's not an idol in my life. Okay? There's a right place. God's given us things to enjoy in life. And I know people really battle. For some of you guys, Packers are idolatry in your life. It captures your thoughts. It consumes you. You know, I'd encourage you to take a year off. I did that years back. It was something that was, I knew was wrong in my heart. The Lord asked me to put it down. You remember that year? We barely watched any games. And it was so cool because I gave it over to the Lord, and the next year the Lord said, pick it up. Have it back. Watch it, and they went to the Super Bowl. I'm not saying that's the reason they went to the Super Bowl. <laughs> but it was a fun season to enjoy. But it was so cool because my heart, the year before, was in a place, if one of you guys on a Sunday would say, hey, pastor, rough week. Me and my wife have been going, through, can you get together with me and talk? Can we pray together after service? You know what was in my head? The Packers are playing the Bears. What the? No. <laughs> That's wrong. To have a brother in need, and my heart's more bent on this idol over here. And I can honestly tell you guys that my heart's in a place that, hey, other things come before a Packer game. God comes before a Packer game. If things don't come up, praise the Lord, I'm going to enjoy a Packer. Does that make sense? Okay, but just, you guys need to understand what the scriptures say. We cannot serve two masters. That's really the problem. That's what I see, whether it be the Packers, money, fame, career, family, has become an idol today in the church. I turn on Christian radio, you guys know almost everything's about family. Is family important? Absolutely. It's a huge part of who we are and what God has given is a blessing. But I've seen in the church that family's becoming an idol. Ooh, look at my family. Look at my children. Look at me and my wife. You know? No, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Does he want to bless our marriages? Absolutely. Are children a blessing from the Lord? Absolutely. Are they to be an idol of ours? No. <laughs> they have a right place. And that's why so many people get so bent when things don't shake out the way they want them to shake out in their family. Because it's become an idol. I can't believe he did this. I can't believe my kids are making these choices. I did everything right. I read all, I listened to all those Christian shows. On, we did it all. Yeah, we do it all. But you know what, guys? God is God. We're people. We have choices. No matter how hard we try, things are not going to be perfect, and they're not going to be perfect until the King of Kings returns and sets everything perfect. Anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself. Idols are bad. Amen? So, the call is to a radical change of mind, direction, allegiance, and nothing else. I want to share a quote with you from A.W. Pink. 
Listen carefully. Do you imagine that the gospel is magnified or God glorified by going to worldlings and telling them that they may be saved at this moment by simply accepting Christ as their personal savior? Well, they are wedded to their idols and their hearts are still in love with sin. If I do so, I tell them a lie. I pervert the gospel. I insult Christ and I turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Now, some of you guys might be like, wait, wait, wait a minute. That doesn't sound right. I have found, and I get the privilege of sharing the gospel with a lot of people. You know, from being here and hearing me preach, we talk about sin. We talk about repentance. And we understand that's a huge part of the gospel message. Aren't we talking about that this morning? You need to change your allegiance to Christ and to him alone. There is that call. Before, when I told you guys I got baptized in the Spirit, I was attending a church here in the valley. Uh, it was exciting because as a part of a youth ministry, uh, it was growing. It got up to over 200 kids coming out on Wednesday nights, worshiping the Lord, really excited about the things Jesus was doing. But the gospel that was being preached left out that repentance part, that turning, that God is your Lord and your Savior. They were just preaching a Savior. They weren't teaching the part of him being Lord, him calling the shots, that true turning in repentance to him. Because my heart broke so many of these kids loving God, but not finding any victory to walk in him because the gospel was being uh, presented in such a way, hey, give your life to Jesus. He loves you. You're going to be blessed. Your life's going to be radically different. You know what? Life is still hard even as a Christian, guys. And if the gospel message you just heard and received was, hey, you come to Jesus, everything's going to be great. What happens when it isn't great? What happens when you actually start walking in a godly way? You actually start following Jesus. Doesn't Timothy promise us that those who live godly shall suffer persecution? These young kids, they would go, I'm in love with Jesus. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. You know what their friends would do? Teenagers are horrible. You, Jesus, for, you did what? Why would, you're no fun anymore. What do you think these young kids did with this gospel message that they heard? They walked. They walked. A lot of them did. Some of them still walk with the Lord, praise God. There was some fruit from there. But let me tell you what, guys. There is lasting fruit when people really count the cost. What is it when I accept Jesus as my Savior and my Lord? When people count that cost and understand what the whole picture is like, that's when you see lasting fruit. Because you see a lot of people. And you guys can go back. You told, I told you earlier about Matthew 13, all the parables about the kingdom. They have the sower in there and the seed. Okay, read those parables. There are those people that get excited for Jesus for a season, but then the cares of this world, idolatry, things that come in and choke it out, they die. Let me tell you what, guys, as a child of God, <laughs> as one who's given his life, allegiance, Jesus, that's it. Life sucks, but my hope doesn't change. My Savior doesn't change. Why? Why? Because I've counted the cost. 
I understand what it means to follow him. You guys understand that? It's not I just come to Jesus because I want my life to be better. I want to be rich. I want to be made well. I want to be healed. And that's a reason why a lot of people come to Jesus today. If you don't believe me, watch the Christian Broadcast Network. Isn't that the message being brought forth on television today from many of the pulpits in America today? I wish this simple, this is a simple message. You know, it feels like it's in depth, but it's just the word of God. I didn't have to pull a whole lot. It's just there. What if we grasp this as believers? Well, let's dig in some more because this will bring some more clarity. Um, You see, Christ's call to respond to the presence of the kingdom with repentance, allegiance, it's because he is the king. He's the central feature of the kingdom of God. Okay? You see, the gospel is, though we spiritually are dead, or we're dead, because of our participation in the dominion of darkness and our commitment was to dead works or dead idols, but that we can be made alive again through Christ. Okay? Um, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Can I borrow someone's Bible? Yeah, your pastor doesn't have a Bible up here. <laughs> nice font size, brother. I'm getting old. Ephesians chapter 2. read the first nine verses here okay so this is he's talking about believers and it says in you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air that'd be satan guys okay um the spirit who now works in all the sons of disobedience okay so what is that telling us if jesus is not your god Okay, if he's not your father, Satan's your father. I hate when people say we're all children of God. Show me that in the Bible. We're not all children. We need to be born again. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Look at verse 3. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God. Every time you guys see a but God in the scriptures, Circle it. Pay attention to what is about to be said. Check this out. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show his exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So, thank you, Thornton. So when we repent of these things, we give our allegiance to King Jesus, and we enter into the kingdom of God. Pretty simple, isn't it? Simple message. Do you know how many people have not heard this? Do you know how many people are sitting in churches and haven't heard this? All they hear is, hey, be good, do this, pray that, give your money, you're set to go. No! 
You are saved by God alone. It's by his grace, through faith. The faith is our part. Are you going to believe or not? Or are you going to keep trusting yourself, doing your own thing, listening to man? Or are you going to trust King Jesus, the good king? John 3.3 3 tells us this. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly. When he says that twice, <laughs> you need to pay attention. That's what he's, pay attention. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless he is born again. Lutherans don't like me using the word born again. You guys know what? Who cares what anyone thinks? What does Jesus say? Do you guys understand that? Okay. I love the church. I love my brothers and sisters. But when someone tells me I can't tell someone they need to be born again, you can come and you can minister. You can pray. You can be a part of this outreach. But it's going to offend these people if you use the term born again. I can't fly with that. Because Jesus says the only way to enter the kingdom of God is to be born again. What do you think we should preach? The gospel. You need to be born again. How does that happen? You give your allegiance to Jesus and him alone, period. <laughs> You need to turn to him. Colossians tells us this in chapter 1, verse 13. For he rescued, he, Jesus, rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Think about that. That is what God has done. Which means that we are now under the rule in the reign of God. We are now connected to, committed to, and loyal to a good king. And we're free from the bad king. So we experience the benefits of the kingdom. That's pretty exciting, huh? You're supposed to say, well, pastor, what are the benefits? Glad you asked. Let's look at the first one. Victory over sin. Victory's been given. In John chapter 8, verse 34 and 36, Jesus answered and said, truly, truly. Again, when he says truly, truly, should we pay attention? Absolutely. Pay attention to it all, but especially. <laughs> he says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. But then he goes on to say, if anyone or if the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. You guys understand that? We're free in Christ. Anyone in Christ, or in Christ there's no condemnation, right? Romans 8.1. Okay? We are not condemned any longer. Do we still sin? Yeah. But didn't Christ become sin for us? Didn't he take our place? Hasn't there been a switch? We get his righteousness? <laughs> Yeah, but now when a person comes to faith and they're born again, something changes. We're not okay living in sin anymore. Where is this conviction coming from? Lying came so natural. I wanted to be so cool. It was all about me and my ego. And the bigger lies I told, the better I was. But now I'm convicted. I got to walk in truth. And the truth is, Jesus is king. The gospel is truth. My life is for his glory. And living this way for me, that no longer works. There's something wrong. That's the Holy Spirit at work now in you because why? You've been born again in the Spirit of God. You've actually been born again from above. Okay? So, um, did we look at Romans? Nope, Romans 6.14. For sin shall not master over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. Before coming to Christ, everyone's under the law. That's why every religion in the world is based upon rules and regulations. You guys know that biblical Christianity is the only religion in the world that our salvation is not based upon what we do, but it's based upon who God is and what he's done. The only one. 
And you even see it today. Churches have a good time of putting rules and regulations upon people, don't they? You see any denomination that's been around for a while, what ends up happening? More rules. You just do this. This is how you'll be confirmed. We'll give you a piece of paper. You do these classes, we'll confirm you, and that's your ticket to heaven. Whoa, wait a minute. Where does it say that in the Bible? Nowhere. You guys understand, Jesus is our Savior. So we have victory over sin because of our good king. We also have victory over demonic opposition. In Matthew 12, 28, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Okay? So, is this a reality? You betcha. Okay? Demonic opposition. Satan and his minions are at work today. I don't know if that's true. Demon possession. Walk in the Spirit. Walk with Jesus. You'll see some things. I told you guys when I was 18, I got baptized in the Spirit. Some radical things happened in my life. Demon-possessed people for the first time in my life. Never seen anything like that before. But man, walking in the Spirit, some crazy things happen. Things that I thought were just make-believe. I'm like, oh boy, this is real. But why? Because it tells us here that the kingdom of God has come upon you. Okay? Something happens when you're born from above. Luke 10, 17, the 70 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons were subject to us in your name. If you don't believe in demon possession, go on a missions trip with us. Okay? Satan's really good. Do you guys know that he's teaching our kids right across the street, which they start school in a couple weeks here? There is no God. We're teaching our kids that nothing blew up. I mean, that's the most ridiculous thing in the world. Nothing blew up and we evolved into all of this. Nothing made all of this. No, how about there's a creator who created all of this? That makes a whole lot more sense. And actually the science, the facts point to intelligent design. Anyways, we don't have time for that. Um, But the point is, Satan's alive and well and he has us as a people saying that there is no God. Okay? But you go to these countries where they're very aware of the supernatural of God, there's radical things happening all over. We got a couple of missionary friends with us this morning who are in town. You know, you see it. It's just part of life. Okay. Um, let's go on. Another thing we see is we have uh, victory over sickness. Now, understanding the kingdom. Let's look at Luke chapter 10, verse 8 and 9. Whatever city you enter and you re- or they receive you, eat what is set before you. And heal those who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. So these should be real, concrete experiences in our lives as members of the kingdom. What we have to realize is that we live between comings. Now this is where clarity to the scripture is going to help us a lot. Okay, You see, the kingdom has come in a peculiar way and is coming in a particular way. We experience some of the kingdom, but the fullness of it not yet. Sin, death, the devil were defeated on the cross, but we still experience them, don't we? That's what the Bible teaches us. So what we have currently is a dominion or control of Christ experienced in and through the life of believers, which will become domain or territory of Christ in and all over all the earth. So this is wonderful news right now, and it gets even better. You see, Satan has been defeated, 
and he will be tormented. Sin has been defamed and it will be displaced. Death has been beaten and it will be abolished. Healing has been provided and it will be perfected. That's good news for now and it's great news for later. We live in a kingdom that is that came and is here now and we look forward to the kingdom of God coming later. So we live in an age of hope. Okay? We have a great hope as followers of Jesus. You see, hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for something to happen. Humanity lives on hope. What is going to be present uh, wherever hope is, uh, we're also going to have the presence of suffering. Does that make, is that logical? Absolutely. There's going to be suffering in order for there to be a hope. Now, what is, uh, you guys all know 1 Corinthians 13. It concludes by telling us to abide in what? Faith, hope, love. We're to abide. So hope is present, but suffering is still a component of the kingdom. In fact, there is, <laughs> there is no entering the kingdom without having, or Christ having suffered for us. Part of what we enter into, we enter into the kingdom of God with the fellowship of his sufferings. Okay? There's a, another church um, that's on the road right here, just headed out of town a little bit. And they teach over there that if you're sick, it's because you're lacking faith. Christians should never suffer. They should never get sick. That's a perversity to the gospel of God. This is a message that they should probably hear and probably study out what the Bible says about the kingdom because it gives us clarity. And that's today something that people are into. I'll try Jesus because it's all about my health and my wealth and he's promised those things, right? Well, what does the Bible say? We know that we have fellowship with him in what? Sufferings, okay? It doesn't say we have fellowship with Jesus when we're getting filthy rich and everything's perfect in life. It doesn't teach us that. In the kingdom, we do not view suffering the same way. Because of the future and the full coming of the kingdom, we're told that he, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no longer death. There will be no longer mourning. There will be no longer crying or pain. The first things have passed away. We read that in Revelation 21. There's a new heaven and a new earth. He makes all things new. Um, let's turn to 2 Corinthians together. I have it up here on the screen, but I want you guys to uh, mark this if it's not marked in your Bibles. And I know we've gone through a lot of scripture this morning. We'll have the teaching up online. You guys can go back through and grab all the references if you want. I'd encourage you to go back and read them in context. Okay? Because again, we want to be Bereans, right? Just don't take Pastor Landon's word for it. <laughs> Look for yourselves. Study the word. Look at verse 16 in, here, in 2 Corinthians 4. It's an encouragement here. It tells us, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our, out man, our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. I know some of you guys feel that way. I'm starting to get a little older. A lot more aches and pains. And some of you guys are like, watch out for 40. That's when it starts getting really bad. I've been feeling, I mean, if that's true, it's going to get a lot worse. But that's one of those things. As we grow in Christ, our inward man, our spiritual man, we should be growing, okay? 
but something, our outward man's perishing, which is okay, because, hey, I'm ready to go. You know, <laughs> whatever the Lord has, I'm ready. Look at verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and an eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So what are we living for? Are we storing treasures up in heaven? Are we living in that eternal reality? Or are we living for the here and the now? Another passage in Romans chapter 8, it says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which is to be revealed to us. That's why we see the persecuted church. I mean, we whine. Oh, they're so liberal on the news. We're supposed to be tolerant of everybody. We have freedom of speech as long as we don't offend anybody. And the only thing that's offensive are you Christians. Have you guys kind of noticed that out there? <laughs> Anything goes except what you Christians think. We don't like what Jesus had to say. Okay? Um, I don't want to talk about that. Um, <laughs> the point is, guys, we have brothers and sisters who are being persecuted for their faith, and they have a hope. Their allegiance is Christ Jesus, and they know this life is but a vapor. They know that their current sufferings and maybe death, that's nothing compared to all eternity with him. And we need to live in that truth, guys, because we get caught up so here and now. Life is rough. We're going to go through hard things. There's going to be loss. There's going to be pain. Life is difficult, but we have a hope that is real. And in that hope, there's joy we just find. You know, to be honest with you guys, I don't have a whole lot of good days lately. But there's a joy that's there. Hey, I can go on. I continue on. Why? Because I have a risen Savior as my King. He is the Lord of Lords. He is my Savior. I get to be with Him for all time. And I'm going to keep sharing this good news to the day I die. Why? Because people need to hear. Despite how I'm feeling, <laughs> what I'm going through. You guys get that. And that's what the scriptures, I love when it speaks into these truths. You see, the kingdom is view, a view of suffering is very different from what we understand. The kingdom gives us a theology of victory, both present and future, and is based on a historical occasion, on the cross and the resurrection. But it also is important to us to realize that it shows us the theology or understanding of suffering. That is a part of what the scriptures talk about. This becomes important as we continue to think about the kingdom in terms of our allegiance to the king. We must realize that in comparison to the domain of darkness and the kingdom of the world of the kingdom of God is really an upside down kingdom. It doesn't make sense to us. Meaning that what is valued in the kingdom of God is different than what is valued in the kingdom or kingdoms of humanity. Check this. The kingdom of God values what? Self-sacrifice and servanthood, a precursor to victory. This is best exemplified in the king himself. We read in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Who's our example, guys? Jesus Christ. What did our king do? Wow. He humbled himself. He served others. He laid down his life. Yeah. Jesus says, you want to follow me? What do you do? You pick up your cross. Die daily. Okay? 
We are called to humble ourselves as he humbled himself. So a king, he came as a king in a peculiar way. And the greatest in the kingdom is who? The servant of all. And who is the servant of all? Jesus Christ. You know, let me tell you what, I know you guys love me, but you haven't laid down your life for me. There's only one who laid down his life for me. And that's my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, his death has brought us life. We experience life, abundant, eternal life, in participation in the life of God when we live in this kingdom reality. Check out uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. It says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life must lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And that's why a lot of people never come to salvation, never know the true and living God, because they want to hang on to their life, their kingdom. Acts 4.22 says, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of heaven. Through many tribulations. So when there's people preaching, hey, if you're in Christ, there's not going to be tribulations. Life's going to be cake. Everything's going to be wonderful. You will be blessed. Where is that in the Bible, guys? No. Aren't we told in the last day that we're going to heap up teachers for ourselves because we have itchy ears? This is what we want to hear. I had a friend um, a few weeks back. Why, is, why isn't freedom big? Or, you know, I've been listening to you teach. You're a pretty good teacher. What? I'm just like, bro, we opened the Bible. <laughs> We're just teaching the word of... People don't like... Honestly, who wants to hear a message like this? Sin's bad. Repent. <laughs> you know, life's going to stink. There's these kingdom realities. It's only come in part, but not yet. Most people don't want to hear that. I want to go to church and I want to feel good. Pastor, why don't you tell me things are going to make me happy and joyful for the week? Going to encourage me that I can have my best life right here and now. Don't you know that's the best-selling Christian book? Talk about that. No, I read in the Bible, my my best life is in the next life. It's in eternity. It's not here, guys. That's the truth, but that's not what people want to hear. Guys, we need to share the truth. We need to pray for churches and pastors to be bold. Okay, You're going to offend people. The truth offends people. If you're being offended this morning, I'm sorry, but I love you enough to tell you the truth. I know God's word is truth, and that's what's going to set us free. God has so much for us. If we just trust him, and we live in his truth, in his ways, in his wisdom. You see... When it tells us that through tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God, it does not mean that we earn a place in the kingdom through sufferings. You guys need to understand that. Okay, but we experience the kingdom in the reality through suffering. You see, the apostle Paul following Christ meant bearing the marks of his suffering. You guys know this passage in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 8 through 10. He says, by honor and dishonor, by Evil report and good report by deceivers, and yet true is unknown, but yet well-known is dying, and behold, we live as chastened, and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. That's kingdom reality, guys. I don't get it, but that's the way it works, isn't it? 
you know? We go through things, but yet there's those other things. <laughs> there's the good and the bad in life. It's just part of life. I see it in my own life personally. I see it in my family. I see it in our church family. Okay? Like we're having an impact in the community. We're a little bitty church. And people are like, how are you guys doing so much? We want to get to run one of the biggest food pantries in the valley. We don't have the money to do it. But God's provided. He's opening the doors. He's doing it. We're a little bitty church. Why do we get to have such an influence in the local jail, which God has a huge heart for the prisoner? What's up with that? You know, why do we get to do these things, guys? Think about it. It's how God works. We go through life. We don't know, understand why everything shakes out, but we get to see so much. The good and the bad, we get to partake in the good and the bad. So there's the never-ending, always reverberating call of the New Testament is to endure hardships. I guess that's the bottom line of what I'm trying to get out to you guys. We're going to go through it, and that's okay. It's what the New Testament teaches us. So what this does is prepare us to maintain an allegiance to the king in all circumstances. Catch this. For what are allegiances and loyalties if they've never been tried? God, why am I going through this? Why has this happened? What this already not yet perspective of the kingdom does, it keeps us from slipping into a secular humanism in a couple of ways. First of all, we are not only looking to alleviate suffering, but we are also willing to suffer joyfully. Why? Because we know the future. Does that make sense? Yeah. Some missionaries, why would you go there? <laughs> yeah, that's a death sentence. <laughs> yeah. But if I don't go, how are they going to hear? Second thing I see is the kingdom comes with power now and later. You see, what the scripture and the present kingdom do, it really holds these two in tension. Okay? We're wrapping this up. I want you guys to catch this part because it's very important and it helps us in our walks. Okay? There's, this, there's this tension going on that's very healthy. There's humility and power. Healthy tension. Okay, there's suffering and there's victory in the kingdom of God. Very healthy tension. This tension keeps us from false expectations and theological tweakings. The kingdom comes with power, but we are not obsessed with the signs and the wonders. We also suffer. Today we see a lot of people running after signs and wonders. A lot of false teaching rolls with those <laughs> movements. The kingdom is open and experienced in suffering, but we experience power, healing, and deliverance. The upside-downness of the kingdom is understanding that it enables us to say, Christ is glorified in my weakness. And who gets the glory? <laughs> Isn't that what it's all about, guys? So this this is really counter, uh, culture in a culture of power. Uh, do we remain allegiant and faithful when we experience the reverberations of the domain of darkness? Do we remain allegiant and faithful when we experience suffering according to the purposes of God? Knowing that the kingdom is here, is present, is already. 
So we are not ruled or overruled by these things because Christ rules over them all. Both the kingdom is also coming, future, not yet. So we do not lose heart because we will, or we won't, Christ will, right every wrong. I get a little excited about that. And he's going to wipe away every tear. So what keeps us balanced is our allegiance to the kingdom of God. That God himself is the prize of the gospel. That's what it's all about, guys. So he is prized in sickness or in health, in poverty or in wealth, in a positive political climate and culture or a destructive one. The testimony of the saints throughout history is the more we suffer, the more Christ becomes treasured. And that he displays his power through his people in all sorts of way. So the king is the center of the kingdom he is our king, and we are his. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Would the worship team come back up? I'd like to sing the last song we sang before. Kind of ties into this truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the realities of the kingdom. We thank you that you are a good king, a faithful king. We thank you that you are a king who led by example, in our leading by example, the way you love, the way you serve. I pray that we would learn much from what your word has to say about the kingdom, that we take these things seriously, that when we're asking the questions or feeling certain ways, that we come back to the truth, which you have said, understanding that your ways are better than ours. God, that you are working things out for the good. And Father, help us to be bold with the gospel that we too would preach the kingdom of God. We know that we're living in crazy times. <laughs> we know you could come back at any time, which is exciting. But until that time, Lord, we want the whole world to hear. We want them to hear of you, Jesus, and all that you have done. Amen? Amen. Amen.